This is Radiance Tape Number JD-126, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, Lending to the Lord. I'm going to wind up, I think, if I'm able to get through it this morning, the series of messages on giving. You remember that we mentioned three kinds of giving. Wish to mention a point about giving itself needs to be understood, because otherwise a person could come up with an argument here that is really no argument at all, but needs to be dealt with so you understand it's a part. In every kind of giving, there is of necessity an expectation of receiving. Reason for this, the nature of God's promises. God has promised in every kind of giving there will be receiving as a result of it. But the point that we're making in the three kinds of giving is where the receiving will come and how it will come. Each kind requires a measure of trust, and each kind requires, in some aspects, a greater measure of trust. See, because we are not able to see the source of receiving. Now, if God were to say, give and you shall receive nothing because you have already received, that would still be a valid reason for giving simply because God had said it. But I say in every kind of giving, there is an expectation of receiving simply because of the nature of God's promises. God said, if you give, this is what I will do. And in every kind of giving, he has attached very abundant promises to the person who gives. Result of that act of giving, provided the giving is not a result of grudging giving or giving of necessity, as I explained to you. A person saying, if you don't give, God will kill you, and then a person gives, or some of this type of thing, where the type of giving God is speaking of is that giving which is the result of doing it because God says to do it. The result in the heart, finally, is abundant, cheerful giving, and that's the giving God is aiming at. All right. Now, once again, the three kinds of giving, and I will show the different aspects of receiving here. One type of giving, business, service, or social where we give in business, we give services, or we give socially. We are giving with the expectation of receiving back from that person and soon. For instance, in business giving, we may extend 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, many times it's cash. I will work for you today, pay me tonight. We give and we receive. All right. The same thing is true of social giving. John and Mary, I invite you over to my house, dinner. I'm expecting in return. Now, certain types of ministerial type thing might be a little bit different here, but only because it laps over into another kind of giving as well. But I'm saying the normal social relationships that we have with one another, we invite a person over somewhere along the line. It is the socially expedient, correct, and acceptable thing to say, we invite you back to our house. Would you come, please, on such and such a night? And it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It is a bad thing when that's the only kind of invitations we extend, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Now, same thing is true of service giving. We give certain services. We do a favor for our neighbor. The neighbor says, I'm going out tonight. Would you watch my children, please? Say, sure, sure, sure. We'll do that. Glad to. But somewhere along the line, you can be sure the neighbor that watched the children will say, I'm going off for the weekend, and could you say same type of thing. So it's back and forth from that person, and usually soon. Now, the second type of giving is that giving which is commanded to honor God. It goes to people 
but there is no necessary direct receiving from that person or any time requirement. It is God's prerogative to give when and where he sees fit. For instance, a missionary comes through, he says he is going to some foreign country, we say, let us take an offering for this brother or sister, and we take an offering, we give him the money, he goes away. The offering was to honor God, his work, the offering went to a man, we do not receive from that person. We might say, well, we receive a little bit of his vision in that way. But the Bible definitely teaches that if we pay tithes and offerings, God will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing such as there will not be room to receive it. But the point is, it is not coming back from that person as a result, you gave to him, now he gives to you. Not necessarily so at all. It is given to God and therefore not attached to the person even though it goes to a person. Now, do you have that in mind? Given to God, and even though it goes to a person, you can't say, I gave you money, therefore you must. No strings. It's to God. Okay. Very important to understand that connection. Now, third type of giving, which we'll be dealing with today, is giving away. One was directly honoring God. The other honors God, but it's indirectly. We give to the poor, giving away. Business giving is giving with the expectation of receiving directly. Giving to God is to honor God. We give to men, receive nothing back directly, but there is an expectation of receiving. Giving to the poor, or alms type giving to the poor, never an expectation of receiving from that person ever. God says, you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, the Lord will repay. But you can never say, I gave you money, you owe me something. If you give to the poor, you give to the poor. Say, here. Say. Now, they come back to you later on, they prosper and say, I want to return this to you, good measure. Praise God, receive it. That's well and good. Or say, pass that on to someone else who needs it. But it's never with the expectation, say, you owe me something, I gave you, and now I want, and not have that kind of a tie to it. All right. Now, the basic idea of giving to the poor rounds out other giving, and it balances the prosperity teaching. See, it is not enough to say we prosper and we pay tithes. That's not enough. Or we have given in business of our time and our labor and our life, and we're laying it all down as a good testimony, so therefore we don't have to do other kind of giving. Not so. God has so tremendous number. I think tremendous would be a right word. A great number of scriptures throughout the Old and the New Testament telling us about this special kind of giving where we literally seek out and defend the cause of the poor and the widowless and the afflicted and we give to them in their time of affliction and need. To balance this quickly here, lest the whole message be taken up with a lack of understanding, it does not mean that we should find every poor person in the whole world and give to them. Manifestly impossible. So we're talking about a kind of giving that we have to understand an intelligent application of truth, but that intelligent application of truth must be made so that we do, in fact, give to the poor. Very important that we understand that. All right, now, would you take your Bibles, and we're going to go through this, because the best way to understand it is not this morning by means of a strong preaching message. I will exhort a little as we go along, but I could give you this whole message in three statements. God commands us to give to the poor. You should give to the poor. Let's give to the poor. But every Christian knows that. But in fact, what is missing is not the fact that we know there's something about giving to the poor in the Bible, or we've heard a sermon about it. That's not what the problem is. The problem is that it has no importance in our mind as it should have. See? Now, 
the rule of finding what is important to God is to go through the Bible and see how many times he himself mentions it and under what conditions. See, if he mentions it again and again and again and again and again, then you know it's important to God. If it's only mentioned once, it's still, you cannot overlook it, but it's of lesser importance, let's say, than the subject of sin, which he mentions many, many times. See, so sin is tremendously important in the mind of God, is to be repented of, is to be atoned for, is to be forgiven, is to be done away with, is to be overcome, it is to be... See, we say, oh, well, sin is important, we need to understand about that. Or sanctification, or Jesus Christ. See, we say, if that was only mentioned once in the Bible, the word Jesus, it still would be of important, you could not overlook it, but it would not have the importance it does have when you begin to see that the whole Bible, old and new, totally focuses in upon him and says... He is Lord, Christ, God, sanctification, righteousness, redemption, see, all of these things. Now turn with me to 1 John 3, and we'll look at verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods, and beholds his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, if just this one scripture was here, it would be potent enough to make every one of us take pause and say, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty strong. But it is not just one scripture like this, but probably a hundred, and probably even more. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word, I love you. So, well, you see someone in need, and you have this world's goods. What should you do? Open your heart and your hand. Not love and word. Oh, I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. So, do something. Okay. Now, we have ministered to you over the years and ministered to this whole body and everywhere we get the opportunity that it is God's will for you to prosper, to be in health, even as your soul prospers. And some, by taking those principles and applying them diligently, are now beginning to prosper. And if you continue to prosper, the prospects are that you will grow very great in control of the world's goods. But with that, there comes a very great danger. And that danger is that seeing wealth increase, your heart will set upon it instead of saying, this is here for a reason, and the reason is that I may become a giver in a vast measure. See, not little giving, great giving. All right. Now, another scripture here should be read along with this. Acts 20, verse 35. This is the Apostle Paul now. He is speaking about the fact that he's going toward Jerusalem. People will not see him any longer. Start back with verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Principle. Not coveting. Because covetousness is idolatry. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak 
and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down. Now, he demonstrated, as I tried to demonstrate, the brethren around have tried to demonstrate, the ones who have gone before you have tried to demonstrate, working with our hands, we have provided the housing, we have provided the clothing, we have provided the food, that those who have come to us naked, hungry, thirsty, blind, have found shelter and sustenance and also a place to hear the Word of God. We must simply practice God's Word. Now, there's a danger among us that as we are becoming more affluent, and that is so. Some here maybe now beginning your walk in the Lord Jesus Christ are not that way at all, but as you practice God's principles, you will come to that place of affluence if you diligently practice them and there is no persecution breaks out in the land. But there is a danger that as we become affluent, we begin to increase our living and not our giving along with it. Now, there's a place of increasing your living standard, but when it reaches a certain point, there is an internal mechanism, if you're truly into the Word of God and understand its principle and teaching, where you say, now that is it. From now on, we increase our giving, but not our living. See, money is a tool. It is not a tool for self-indulgence, but a tool for beneficence and good. All right. Now, Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, so it is not just the new, although that alone would be enough for us. But Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, and we'll start with verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware lest there is a base thought in your heart saying the seventh year of the year of remission is near. Now the principle was that in the year of remission they forgave those debts which the poor of the land owed to them. And so you would say in your own mind, if I have seven years to loan this to him, he's got a good chance of paying me back. But if I loan it to him one month before the year of remission begins, I have to forgive it. So therefore, I'm not going to loan it to him. I'll tell him I don't have it and so forth and so on. It's a year of remission in those days. So beware, lest there is a base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near. Your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing that he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin to you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you. Now notice that indirect, you will give to him, but the Lord your God will bless you. Notice that, not expecting back from him, the Lord your God will bless you. Loan to a poor person, he may never be able to pay you back again. And Jesus said, do not worry about that. The Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and pour it in your land. All right. See, old and new, this heart of God is being expressed. He said the poor will never be gone from the land. See, no matter how much you minister prosperity, there will always be new ones coming on whose thinking is fouled up, who do not know how to work with their hands, or they also may be sick or ill or whatever misfortune may dog their steps at some point. They've not learned how to get ahead of it, and the poor will always be there. Now, I tell you something, and it's something for you to bear well in mind. Sometimes God sends along people to us who have no gifts whatever, no talents, no abilities, 
no qualities which we can say, oh, this person here, let's get them in our kind, then they will be able to. But I tell you, my brothers and sisters, sometimes the only gift that a man has to give is the fact that he has no gift at all to give, and we have the opportunity to give. Now, I'll show you why in just a moment here. The end of every commandment, these commandments as well. See, every commandment, Lord said, I have given you these commandments this day for your good. Not like for God's good. God's not made better if you keep the commandments. He's not made worse if you don't keep the commandments. God is God. He is utterly intact. He is grieved if we do not keep them. He desires to give us great good, but he's not less God because we don't keep the commandments or more God because we do keep the commandments. God is God, unchangeable, everything flows from him to us. All right. But now, these commandments being given to us for our good, what is the end of the commandment? What is the purpose of the commandment? What is the direction? All right. If you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy, the first chapter, I'll show you the end of every commandment and this special one that I'm dealing, knowing the way God deals with it in the Word of God, must be a very special one in the mind of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. King James says, but the end of the commandment, verse 5 here says, but the goal of our instruction, in other words, the end, the goal, the aim of our instruction or the end of the Word of God or the end of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The end of the commandment. Now remember, then, it starts with the truth, and here's the truth. God is love. We showed you from John 3, 16, the outpouring of love is that love gives, John 3, 16. We then are commanded to love, love God with all our heart and our neighbors ourselves. and he says then the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart, love unfeigned. That's the end of it. Now, everything then is ended at bringing you to the place where you, like God, love, where you, like God, give, where you, like God, are a channel, where you, like God, are like God. Do you understand that now? The whole movement is that you shall be like him. And of course, that's part of the vision, isn't it? That in our living and our dying, we shall be conformed to our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything is moving us to that end. All right. Now, I wish to just simply take some scriptures. I want you to follow with me, start at the book of Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, and as we read this, we'll just go from one to another. I believe there will be a great blessing to you as you see God's heart in this particular matter. Nehemiah, the 8th chapter. What I'm going to do is move as rapidly as I can. If some of you are not able to keep up, you'd be better advised, really, just to listen, because you'll get just as much out of it as a result of that listening. Nehemiah here, the restoration of the wall of Jerusalem. Ezra had built the temple. Now a celebration time had come, and Nehemiah speaks. Now I want you to notice how God weaves in this dealing with the poor in almost everything that he does. Some scriptures are directly aimed at the poor. Some simply, like they're talking about this, and then it says, and don't forget or here I'm speaking to you, but it's essential that you remember, or here I give you this, and now I want you to... See, it's always that 
So you see, it's almost like the heart of God. That's just like he can be speaking about many subjects, like this subject, that subject, this subject. But here's this one subject about dealing with the poor keeps coming up. And he throws it in in all different kinds of ways. Now you see how this is dealt with. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared. See? He said, eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Stop. Make sure those who have nothing, you take care of them. See, because, oh, wow, celebration time, man. Let's have a meal. Let's get the saints together. Let's really have a good time. Oh, this is going to be good before God. Stop, God said. Stop. Yes, Lord. Send portions to those who have nothing. Let them also rejoice with you. He deals with this all the way through. All right. Now, turn with me to Psalm 37. And I will read from 21 to 27. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. But the righteous is gracious and gives. Now notice, the wicked borrows. He's a taker. He has no intention of paying back. <laughs> I'm not going to pay it back. Dummy. You didn't get a note. You haven't got the legal clause. Too bad for you. See? But the Bible says about the righteous, he is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, referring to God now. Those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long, I speak about this righteous man, all day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good so you will abide forever. See, right in the middle of it. Now, once again, he does this, he does this, he... All day long, he extends himself. All right. Proverbs 28, 27. See, this is very important that we begin to develop this attitude because most of us are so taken up with our daily affairs that we do not, in fact, attach any importance to this idea at all. See, like, well, man, I have this to do, I have this to do, I have this to do, I have this to do. I have... Well, how about the poor? Well, yeah, well, welfare is taken care of. Then I have this to do, I have this to do. I'm a very busy man. I have... But God constantly says, stop. Stop. And hear what I have to say on this matter. Very important. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. He's speaking here to a king, wishes to prolong the life of his rule. Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. King, my name is so-and-so and so-and-so. I represent a big cartel, a pool. We can only say that our assets are somewhere in excess of $1 billion, and we demand your time. Oh, yes. What is it? Sir, you're very important. Poor person. Sir, I, my family. Please, don't you understand? This person here who represents a cartel worth in excess of $1 billion needs my time and attention. Go away. See somebody out there. We, the, the, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, who's next? Sir, I'm a diamond and silver merchant, and we are just a... Uh, uh, sir, my wife is sick, and I have no money. Please do not disturb. 
God says to this king, open your mouth for the dumb and for the rights of the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend. That means take time out, pick up your sword, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. Now, see, once again, these things require both two things, time and thought, and the resultant use of that time and thought will produce how to give. See, time, thought, and giving. Okay, cannot just say, I'm very busy. Cannot be that busy. You cannot be that busy. Not this group of people. All right. Now, turn to Isaiah 117. Get to the prophets. Matter of fact, the prophets had quite a bit to say about this, but I skipped over some of it because it had to do with specific nations and pretty heavy prophecies. Isaiah 117, learn to do good. Now, notice the word learn to do good. See, it's like, oh, yes, I got that scripture now. No, no, it says learn to do good. You have to actually sit down and say, for instance, if I want to learn to play the organ. Faith Warlick knows how to play the organ. You know why she knows how to play it? Because she spends hours practicing it. She goes, even now, going to instruction in classical organ, still learning to play that organ. Say, well, she knows how to play the organ. She knows how to play it a little bit. But she wants to learn how to play it better. So she's still learning. So the Bible says, learn to do good. Oh, I'm a Christian. I know how to do good. No, we don't. No, you have to learn how to do good. You have to think about doing good. How can I do good? Not how can I be good. Many people's idea about being good is I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. See, kind of negative kind of mentality. You know, like, I'm good. I don't do anything. That's the problem. God says that's a little bit of it. You just drop off certain gross things. But now he says, learn to do good. Jesus said, He that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be like this, 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 and this. Learn to do good. So you have to sit down and think about it. You have to say, I don't know how to do good. How do I do good? I'm going to think about it. I'm going to ask somebody how I do good. And somebody say, Well, here's a way to do good. There's a person over here who desperately needs $100. They're in trouble. Well, I don't want to learn to do that kind of good. <laughs> say, Well, thank you. I, I didn't know that. I've got money. The Lord's blessed me. I've learned to prosper. Hallelujah. Here's. Who's that brother? Right over there. Well, here, brother, you give it to him, because I don't want to, you know, I feel dumb going over and say, here's $100. I just, I want to do what the Bible says. I just want to keep it simple. And All right, brother, we'll give it to him. See? Here's a gift from God. And the Bible says the poor will bless you, and God will repay you. Yeah, think about that, though. Okay. Now, Isaiah 1, 17. Seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Now, it's all tied in with learn to do good. So he says, learn to do good, seek justice. We say, oh boy, that's right on. Reprove the ruthless. All right, maybe. Defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Now, see, because the church has not done this, God, to fulfill the heart that he has toward the poor, has passed the power to do this to the state. And they have seized the taxing power to make sure God's command is carried out. They don't know they're carrying out God's command, but they are carrying it out. And a vast welfare system, which could break the country in time, not that welfare is wrong in of itself, but it's wrong one way. It should have been done as a result of voluntary giving to the poor by people who were there. I tell you, the administrative costs, when it goes through a welfare system, are unbelievably high. Now, I don't know what the thing is, but maybe out of every $100 of tax money they take in, maybe $40, $30, $20 actually gets into the hands of the poor person. 
because here's these administrators and executives and so forth and so on, all of them, each one takes their salaries and wages and so forth, and studies are being made and so forth. But oh, how much better it would be if the church, and if that word were spread throughout the country, so the man sees a poor person and says, no administrative costs. God has prospered me. Here, my friend, what you need. If I just had a little money, I could get a cart and I could sell apples and I'd be able to make a living for my family. How much do you need? I could do it probably for three, four hundred dollars. Let me help you. No administrative costs. I need four hundred. Here's four hundred. No cost. You'd find the tax burden would. But there's a punishment. When a people closes their hand and said, no, I will not do that. Then God said, then I will take it from you by force, instead of a glorious privilege of saying, here, okay? I don't care what the rest of the world's doing out there. Well, I care what they're doing, but I mean, that's not saying, well, everybody does that. But it should not be so among us. We must learn to do what God says, see? And then God will bless us. We'll be on high, not the bottom of things. All right, now turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, we'll start the seventh verse. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? He's talking about the fast he's chosen. To bring the homeless poor into the house? Let it always be that our houses are to the place where the homeless poor can find a place of refuge and shelter. When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will spring speedily forth. Speak about sickness. And your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness, and give yourself to the hungry. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones physical. He wants you to prosper, be in health, even as your soul prospers. You will be like a water garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up age-old foundations. You'll be called the repair of the breach, the restore the paths to dwell in, streets to dwell in. You know what I'd like to be called? I'd like to be called a restorer of paths to dwell in. I'd like to be called the repairer of the breach. I'd like to raise up the foundations of many generations. Do you know what I'd like you to be called? The repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. I'd like to see you raise up the foundations of many generations. It says, give yourself to the hungry. Remember the poor. Defend the widow and the orphan. Plead for the afflicted. Say, Amen. Isn't the word of God good? It's instructive. See, that's what it is. Now, here's a great king. We say, well, Nebuchadnezzar, he's an old sinner. What's the Word of God got to do with him? Well, that's what the Word of God's for. I'm glad it came to me as an old sinner. Hallelujah. But Nebuchadnezzar now had a dream, and the dream was essentially that God was going to take him down from his high place. He said, well, I'm going to do this and that and the other thing. God said, I'm going to bring you down. You've not given me the glory. Daniel Fourth chapter in the 27th verse, after Daniel finished explaining the dream that what was going to happen to him, he said, Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. 
break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Now notice that. See, right in the middle of it. Here's this king on the verge of destruction and ruin. His life is filled with adultery and lying and fornication and hatred and bloodshed of people and violation of God's laws on every hand. And he simply says, May my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities. How? By showing mercy to the poor. It was almost like that's just, here's this murdering, pillaging, see, and Daniel says, let me give you advice from the heart of God. Break off your sins and prove it by showing mercy to the poor. See how close that is to the heart of God? It's like it's right there. Okay, now let's turn over to Zechariah 7. Zechariah 7 chapter, 9th and 10th verses. Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother, and do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. See, once again, right in the middle of all of these things says, Don't forget the widow and the orphan, those who are poor among you. Now, Luke 14, New Testament now. And if some of you elders would like to take time and make a study of this so that the time comes that we leave again, you would be able to carry on this work and instruct the people in these matters. This body of people needs to give much consideration. I'll give you some suggestions at the end of this message what we should be thinking about. Luke, the 14th chapter, verse 12, and he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. Now see, he did not say don't, because he went to these meals too. But he was simply saying don't in the sense of don't let that be your only invitations. Now he's saying, because when you do that, you have your reward. I invite you over to dinner. You invite me over to dinner. Tit for tat. That's it. There's nothing more there. There might be a growing friendship or something like that, but there's no eternal reward. But he said, invite those who can never repay you. Now let's see who you should invite. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, crippled, lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. You will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now here's it. No way are you going to get this back from them. God says, now extend your trust and believe that you will be repaid, however, at the resurrection of the righteous. What lays up there? What lays ahead for those who follow his true teaching? All right, Luke 19.8. Something had happened in the life of Zacchaeus. He'd gone to be with the Lord. He was a tax collector, very wicked man. He had taken things from people by false accusation, common thing among those tax collectors of that day. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And he's found salvation. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back four times as much I will give. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. For he too 
a son of Abraham. Oh, hallelujah. See, tied right in. Now, Zacchaeus knew. He knew inside. Or maybe he knew because he'd finished talking with Jesus, and Jesus said, here's what a son of Abraham would be like or do. Now, to the rich young ruler, he put his finger on a problem that rich young ruler had, which was covetousness, had great possessions, came to Jesus, said, I wish to inherit eternal life. What do I do? He said, don't you know? Keep the commandments. These things I've done from my youth up. He said, sell everything you have, then give to the poor, and you'll be perfect. And he said, no way. And he went away sorrowful. Now, what's the difference between Zacchaeus, the unrespectable, the miserable, contemptible Roman tax collector who had defrauded, cheated, lied, stolen, cast people into jail. Jesus said, salvation. The difference was that this man caught the spirit of the heart of God and said, what God wants, I'll do. I give half my goods to feed the poor. And if I've taken anything, I'll restore him fourfold over. Hallelujah. Let us get that same kind of heart within ourselves. See, that's why we have always felt the great love for the ranches. Those places where those who are wandering off the streets, holes in their shoes, and mothers with a child or two or three and no father to take care of the children or hungry. Sometimes people come there and say, they haven't eaten for two, three days, and I'm so hungry. The women that stop and go fix them a whole meal say, here, say, here's a bed. See our people sometimes get out of their beds and sleep in a sleeping bag or on the floor and say, here, take my bed. And That's rich. That's a foundation that when the trials of life blow against that house. That's why we should have fallen 10,000 times. We've been on the ragged edge of bankruptcy so long. Not these late years. Now we're prospering. No, God's saying, now, you don't ever forget the poor, though. See, as you begin to become more and more prosperous, now you have people buying homes, and, and God's giving them nicer cars, and now we're starting to dress with nicer clothes, and some people come to me and say, I have some money left over. Would you think it would be a wise thing for me to invest in? I say, yes, I do. Maybe you should buy stocks with it, or maybe you should put it here in the bond. I'm saying to make it grow. But for what reason? To become a more powerful channel of blessing to those who are in need. May God prosper you mightily is my prayer, and may he prosper your ability to give along with it. Amen. There are special warnings to the ones who are prosperous, that they are not to take a wrong attitude toward those that are poor. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Timothy, please, the 5th chapter, 10th verse. 5th chapter, 10th verse. Speaking of a widow to be taken into the number, if you're up in years, not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, if she had brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, I wish to tell you that hospitality is a very important thing, if she has assisted those in distress, if she has devoted herself to every good work. Mark of a godly woman. James 1.27, James has much to say about this subject. See, all the apostles and prophets 
together understood the importance of this. When Paul went up to see whether he was preaching a good gospel, they told him he was. They could add nothing to him, said, except one thing. We would say, do you remember the poor? He said, which thing I was also forward to do. He understood that. He was a full and complete gospel preacher. James 1, verse 27, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. Many of us would understand keeping ourselves unstained by the world, but it is tightly coupled with visiting widows and orphans in their distresses. James 2, verses 2 to 9. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring dressed in fine clothes, there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, a condition that existed then and to our shame exists now in the church at large. I pray that it does not ever exist here. God forbid that it shall. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. The way I want you to avoid it is by giving it a generous clip. Now, sometimes people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about money. People get offended. Of course they get offended. That's why you talk about it. Because people should not get offended. Look what it says, 1 Timothy 6, chapter, very clear commandment, verses 17 to 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's the kind of instruction you ought to give rich people. Say, right, praise God, I'm glad you're rich. Now, here's what you need to do because you are. Make sure your heart's generous. You don't fix your heart on those riches. You're ready to share. You're generous in your giving. Make sure you do that. Say, someone says, don't talk about that. You offend them, they'll leave. No, sir, I do not believe that. I believe some of the leave. But I believe the fact of the matter is a properly attuned heart to Christ will hear that and say, that's what that says. That's right. I'll do that. Okay. First Timothy 17 to 19, read the 19th here. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. No man knows what the future holds. Tell them, don't trust in riches. You make sure you give, and that'll store up for you a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. See, instead of saying, oh, my life is in my money. Say, no, my life is in the heart of God. Okay. Now, I have a number of scriptures here dealing with the principle of liberality, but I'm going to sum it up this way, saying simply God loves a cheerful giver, and there's so many. You'll find them in Psalms 41, Psalms 112, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 19, Proverbs 21, many in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 11, 1 and 2, Matthew, Luke, so forth. Okay. Now, I want you to see how God speaks to those who were givers and how he rewarded them as a result of their giving. And a very interesting one can be found in Acts 10.4. I'll now move along here and not take all of these, but these are examples of giving people. Here was a man who did not know the Lord in the way that you would know him at all. He was a centurion of the Italian band, and God speaks to him in the 10th chapter We'll read back the first verse. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion 
of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. They did not know Jesus. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and alms. Did you hear that? See? Oh, I pray to God. Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, result, salvation came to him and his entire household. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, alms, very important principle that we need to continually learn to utilize these things. In book of Acts, the Bible tells how they sold the things that they had. Great outburst of this. The Jews would understand this in a very powerful way because they knew where the heart of God was toward almsgiving and the people of Israel had gone completely away from it. They were very tight-fisted now. The Romans had come in taking control of their lives and almsgiving was almost no place. They gave the Pharisees, even wouldn't take care of their parents anymore, say it's Corbin, it's dedicated to God, and therefore we don't have to take care of you. And they would come and throw tithe and anus and mint and cumin into their own high priestly. There's a whole cohort of them just, and they give gifts back and forth to each other, and that was their whole principle. And here with the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the church, they came and sold everything they had and gave, so there was no need. No one had any needs at all. Those needs were being powerfully met by people giving. And the Jews would understand that as a rebuke to their own stinginess and what it was, their covetousness and their idolatry. All right, now, Acts 4. I want you to see not only were they concerned with the people of Israel in Jerusalem, Acts 4, verse 34, For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as... Any had need, any had need, including the Romans. And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostle, which translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and lay it down at the apostles' feet. Another place tells about the prophet Agabus, not able to find it right here, but says he spoke that there was a great dearth which would come to pass in the certain time, did come to pass, and the saints determined to send relief to those who were at Jerusalem. All right, Acts 11:29, Verse 27, now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. See, now here they are in another place altogether. And one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. See, now they understood that it was a proper thing if we should hear of a church, let's say, in Blue Lake, or we should hear of a church in some other place, and because of some famine or some flood or some trouble, that we would take up a contribution and we would send it to those people, which, in fact, we did when the trouble was in Guatemala, and those people, those homes were broken down. We took up an offering among ourselves, and then we went out among other churches and gathered an offering, took it down there, and we are still giving to those people in their distress a right and laudable thing, and God commends it and will reward in his proper time. Although from my point of view, he has already rewarded us. Acts 28.10, speaking of the people of Melita here, after Paul had ministered the gospel to them, and they also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, supplied us with all we needed. Speaking of their generosity toward Paul, 
for what they had received. But that's a little different implication. Romans 15, verses 25 through 28. But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now here's other churches. Yes, they were pleased to do so. There's the cheerful giving. And they are indebted to them because the gospel came from them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, I'll put my seal on this fruit of theirs. In other words, the seal was not on the fruit till he actually delivered and gave it to them. I will go on by way to you and to Spain. Now, Hebrews 6, 10. For God is not so unjust as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, in other words, ministering to the saints, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise of God. Now I have some conclusions here. One, I will read this scripture, one that I read already, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. God desires that your heart will come to that place where it is so like his heart that the whole nature of your being is to give, intelligently, wisely. God says the poor will always be in the land. There will always be the lamed, the maimed, the halt, the blind, and the outcast. There will always be those without proper clothes upon their backs. But God desires to make you a channel for their blessing, that you can be a giver and not a taker. He desires to change your heart so you're not looking around the poor and doing what so many do, despise them, saying, I just despise the poor. But God said, do not despise the poor. Do not do it. He said the poor are despised even of their neighbor, but he said, don't you do it. We must get that attitude out of our hearts. It is our work to help them, to build them, to train them, to teach them, but never to despise them, to meet their need. For you also were once poor and strangers without God and without hope, and now you have been born in the kingdom. So therefore, we need to consider locally here the poor. We need to create a pool to loan as well as to encourage individual giving and lending to those in need. Now, we have, in a central sense, a pool to loan. And many times ministry is just getting started. We've been able to loan many thousands of dollars and no interest to get those works on their feet. Some of those works have gone on to prosper very quickly and they paid that money back and even gone on continually giving more. That's a right and good thing. And so we have continued to prosper. Sometimes they have not prospered. They needed yet additional help. We said, forget it. It's a gift. Lately, we have been sending out to the ranches, to them individual gifts, $1,000, $1,500 a time. Say, here, use this as you best see that it's to be used. Just simply a gift. Part of that is coming from all of the works. But God is prospering some of you, and more of you will come to fit those ranks shortly. God is prospering you abundantly. This local congregation needs to think about how to create a pool to a loan to those who are in need. Now, this is not to transfer the blessing of giving to some pool. Say, oh, well, my church takes care of that. No, it is not to take away from you the joyous blessing of being able to reach into your own pocket above and beyond anything that you would do, like some pool that you would create, that you contribute 10 or 100 or 1,000 or a million dollars. So it wouldn't make any difference at all. 
but also you would see the poor and you would say, here, I give you this. See? Change our hearts into those generous, abundant, giving hearts instead of saying, no, 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 I must keep this and I must... No. I tell you, money well invested will be invested in two places. Two kinds of things. You will invest it in those things which directly increase your capital. You will invest it in the poor. I want to tell you something here, just a little passing thing. If I put my money in the bank, some of it's there because I might need it for something quick. But I don't like it in the bank. Because every year the inflation rate, I just read every day I pick up things that says the dollar sunk to new lows on international markets. That means prices are going to skyrocket again and again and again. And that means that when they say the dollar sunk to new lows in England, that really says to me, my dollar sunk to new lows in the bank. The prices are going to go up and up and up, and I'm going to have less and less and less of it all the time. See, I cannot know about the foundation for the future, and inflation may take a runaway like it's done in some South American countries, 100, 150, more sometimes in some places, percent per year, which means your money just goes, gone. No assurance of the future. But since you do need to operate with some money, you need to invest it properly so that it does tend to increase itself as best you understand those things with the help of others. I would not put my money in a bank if I can avoid it or a bond because inflation is galloping so fast that there's no way of keeping up with it. Certain types of bonds, different thing maybe. But I'll tell you where I would loan my money out at. I would loan my money by giving it to the poor because the Bible says he that give it to the poor lend it to the Lord, and the Lord will repay. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You want your money back with interest. Make sure you know where to put it. Amen. Okay. So we need to pool the loan, but not to take away from you that glorious opportunity to individually be able to write a check out and say, for this person over here. Okay. We need to consider creating a commissary, food supply and clothes that will be on hand at all times. Someone come in here in desperate trouble. Someone come in at the ranch. Now, we have a free store out there, but it ought to be different than a free store. It ought to be something that we put something in. I think at times that free store has been a very great blessing, and I desire everyone in this place that God is blessed and prospered. You, you bring your clothes, good clothes. Now, they don't bring a bunch of rags in, you know, and say, oh, well, that's plenty good for those people out there. No, sir, you're lending to the Lord. And I want to tell you, if I'm going to give him my money, I want to give him my best, nice, new dollar bills. See? And uh, same with my clothes. If I'm going to lend him my clothes and expect to get something back in return, I want to give him something that looks pretty good. I don't want to bring up some rags. Here, say, I'm lending this to you. I say, take it back. I don't borrow that kind of stuff. You know. Okay. Then we ought to supply some funds to see some of these young people be able to dress up better than they have been because we're prospering. There was a time we couldn't do that. We all wore those kind of clothes. I remember when I went up to Abbott Loop, I was wearing them. We were extended to the very limit. And I went up there, and they bought $800 worth of clothes for me. Give me $200 beside, and I went and bought shoes for the brother. They didn't have any shoes up there. See, now, that's not some big deal for me. Just I'm smart, that's all. See, I'm no dummy. See, I'm saying that if somebody bought me $800 worth of clothes, and then somebody gave me $200 for clothes beside, you know, I say, wow, 200 bucks more. I think I will now buy me an Italian vest and a French pair of trousers and new shoes and I... I say, oh yes, Lord. Brothers, here, sisters. See, learn to be smart. God puts it in your hand. Know where to get rid of it at. They gave us an offering for $2,400. I said, here, brothers, make a down payment on the place out there. I said, I take it for myself. I didn't need it. I was well taken care of. 
I'm still well taken, always well taken care of. God has just blessed me. He just He covers me with generosity because I'm a generous person. See, He covers my wife with generosity because she's a generous person. In fact, she's more generous than I am. It scares me sometimes. She comes in, you know what I did today? I say, what, what, what? <laughs> Let us support the ranches. Let us practice hospitality. Let us remember the poor. And then I'll read one final scripture, and it's good for everyone to turn to it with me. It's in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, because I want to end up with a promise here. So you might be saying, oh, wow, man, this is heavy. It isn't heavy at all. Real light duty stuff. Because of the promises that go with it. But see, it causes us to extend trust. Now it shall be, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. I want you to consider each one of you having afflictions or troubles in your life. There may be an answer here for permanent deliverance for you in what I'm now going to read obeying what God has said to us, especially in this area. He's connected with health in several things. He's connected with the blessing of our offspring in different places. But listen to this. Obey. General rule. Blessed shall you be in the city. Now you say, wow, man, I just, I can't handle a city. Maybe the reason you can't handle a city, haven't practiced the commandments of God in these areas. Love God with your whole heart, your neighbors, yourself. Give to the poor. Work with your hands. Give to those who are in need. Many other such things. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country. I know people sent from New York up to a farm, freaked out, had to go back to the city. Some people live down in the subway, can't come up, see, full of fear. We should not be full of fear. We should have no fear. Perfect love casts out fear, see. Fear have torment. We should be men and women of God walking in love. No fear. Let us be givers. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, and the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies, which rise up against you, to be defeated before you. We've seen this many times. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command a blessing upon you in your barns, and in all that you put your hand to, he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. It's the land he's given us. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. If you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, so all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, Jesus, and they shall be afraid of you. The Lord will make you to abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of the beast, the produce of your ground, and in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you only shall be above, and you shall not be underneath. If you will listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you this day to observe them carefully, and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left, to go after other gods or serve them. And I say a final thought to ponder. God is beginning to give us a little rain in Northern California again. 
I cannot say with certainty, therefore I only speak by permission, but I do not believe that three years of drought is anything but God saying, California, I have blessed you abundantly. I have given you great possessions. I have given you great natural resources. I have bathed your land with water and I have bathed it with the sun. I've given you ground that is fertile and that produces. I've allowed you to build and take out of the ground gold and silver and precious metals. I've allowed you to become rich. But you have not given. You have not generously taken care of the poor. Oh, yeah, we do it with welfare. But how many say, oh, I delight to pay taxes so the... Say, Very few people say, oh, it's a joy to do. But God wants to turn California and Washington and Oregon and Nevada and Idaho, Illinois and New York and everywhere God's people are to set an example to the people of this earth. This is the way God's heart is. This is the way. Walk in it. Oh, my friends, I want this congregation, not this church. There's one church in Humboldt County. But I desire that this congregation shall set a blazing pace for generosity, godly giving, concern for the poor, concerned about the needs of the lame, the maimed, the halt, the blind, the outcast, that our ranches will become a delightsome place, that their needs shall be met and taken care of. And I will pray to God for you, that God will prosper you, and I'll do everything in my power, and we have done everything in our power to teach you principles by which you may prosper, and brought in good and godly men to teach you these principles that you may prosper. Now you are beginning. Oh, my beloved sons and daughters in the Lord Jesus Christ, along with your prosperity, increase your giving mightily. And the Lord will bless our land and bless our life. He will bless your bones and make them strong. He will bless the fruit of your body. He will bless the produce of your ground. He will bless the money in your pocket. He will bless whatever you turn your hand to. Everywhere you go, you shall be a delightsome land, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have not left us without instruction. You've not left us to our own souls or our own minds to try and dream up what to do. But you've given us a good word. You've spoken to us, Lord. You've taken holy men of God. And you've caused them to speak, not of their own minds, but as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. And you watched over their hands. And you watched over the hands of the scribes as they have written the word from generation to generation. And you have kept it for us in this day. And it is a good word still. And it will be a good word in every generation. For it is forever settled in heaven. You have spoken it and you will not go back, Lord. Now, Father, that which we have heard, let us be like those wise men that Jesus spoke of when he said, This wise man is like a man who built his house upon the rock. And when all the trials of life blew, they could not shake it, Lord. Let it be in us like it was there. That we hear these things and we do them. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.